Back in February, we began our series in the book of Exodus, and it has been a fascinating and eye-opening journey for us as we've traveled with Israel, learning of God's grace, of his unapproachable glory, his unyielding holiness. Um, we have learned much about the Lord, and and Exodus, uh, it. I mean, there, this whole journey for Israel is, is 40 years before the new generation enters the promised land. Um, I made a commitment that we weren't going to take 40 years in Exodus. Um, we're, we're finishing this morning. And so we're going to be uh, finally coming to the end of the book of Exodus. And in the next couple of weeks, we're going to um, go back to the New Testament. And we're going to be studying um, Titus and First Peter. Um, I don't know which we're going to start with first. And so, ladies, if you want one of those books that Nora puts together um, of the uh, or, or men. Yeah, I mean, I don't know of any of the guys who purchased it, but the ladies have. Um, so you can keep notes and things. Um, we'll make copies of both Titus and First Peter. So talk with Nora. Get your name on the list because they cost anywhere between six and ten dollars to produce those books. So. But we're in the final, the final verses of the book of Exodus. We've, we've learned that the story of Exodus is the story of God's covenant promise coming to pass because God is faithful to his promises. And today we come to a very, very fitting conclusion to this story. Exodus 35 through 40. So, so six chapters that we're going to look at today. These chapters finish what God began in chapter 1. These chapters are almost in 35 through 40. They're almost literally verbatim, word for word, of the chapters of 25 through 31. 25 through 31 are the instructions that Moses is given by God to build the sanctuary of God, the place where God will dwell, this thing called a tabernacle. Those, those verses in, in 20, 25 through God is describing to Moses in, in minute detail exactly how everything needs to be built, how everything needs to be put together. And now in chapter 35 through 40, that process is beginning. And, and it is, again, verbatim, it is the instructions being given and, and being followed to build the sanctuary of God. Now, there is purpose in repetition in Scripture, there's great purpose. Bible repetitions highlight Bible priorities and important things get said twice. So when you see in the, in the gospels, Jesus saying, truly, truly listen up because there's, there's something important being said. And in this case, this repetition is about the awesome reality that the Lord, the redeemer, the sovereign ruler intends to live with his people, among his people, in being present with his people. And in verses, in chapter 40, verses 34 through 38, the very last verses of this book, Exodus comes to a close and this is exactly what happens. And, and if you would um, actually turn to chapter 40, because I want, I'm actually going to start back at the back and, and go forward. And I hope none of you ever read mystery novels like this, that you don't turn to the back of the book to find out who, who did it. Um, 
Look at verse 34 with me. After all is said and done, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle day by day, and fire was in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. This sanctuary, this tabernacle was set right in the middle of the encampment of a people numbering over a million. So you've got a million people surrounding this tabernacle and the glory of God fills this place. And at night, just so everyone, it doesn't go dark, fire fills this place. That's, that's the scene here. And as Exodus comes to a close and God's glory dwells, he comes and he is in the sanctuary among his people. And to appreciate this awesome moment, before we we really appreciate exactly what is happening here, we, we need to look back. We need to look back to why Israel is here in the first place. Why why was all of this necessary? Why all these minute details, these instructions? Why why this exodus? Why why is this all about? What, What tragedy befell God's people that stopped him from dwelling with them? So I've got just three points to describe these last verses, these last chapters. And it is, number one, it is sanctuary lost. Secondly is sanctuary renewed. And the last one is sanctuary restored. Sanctuary lost, sanctuary renewed, and sanctuary restored. Now to rightly understand Exodus, we we need to look back in Exodus 1 when God creates the heavens and the earth. After six days of, of God's creative work, he surveys all that he has done and he declares, oh, it is very good. Not just good, it is very good. And in Genesis 2, God, God creates Adam. He creates this, the man and, and he places them, he places them in the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden is God's sanctuary on earth. It is the place where God dwells. It is the place of, of tranquility and peace and, and purity. It is the place where God has filled with his presence and his glory. And then he creates Adam's helpmate, Eve. And together they enjoy the beauty of this perfect sanctuary created. They, were, they are created in God's image. They are created. They have an identity in God as worshipers and as workers and, and as, as subjects of a gracious and loving king. And it is in this sanctuary that they, they dwell. And as God would normally walk in the cool of the garden, they would experience that. But Satan comes and he deceives Adam and Eve with a promise of pleasure in having a new identity. See, they have their identity in God. 
They are made in the image of God, but, but Satan comes and he promises them a whole new identity. Rather than serving God, they can become like God. And that entices them and it tempts them. And at that tragic moment, they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And now they do have a new identity. It's called sinner. It's called sinner. Their once glorious image is grossly distorted by sin. And so everything has changed. A curse has come upon Humanity, as Adam and Eve, are expelled from the sanctuary, the garden of God, and they they lose their unhindered fellowship with God. But the gospel, the good news of the gospel, it's in the shadow, but it's in the background. It it is there. It it softly plays in the background as, as God first sacrifices an animal to cover Adam and Eve's nakedness. Blood is shed. Someone dies. So that their sin can be covered. Life has been given and and a prophecy of a future to come. A future savior is spoken as Adam and Eve are expelled as they leave the sanctuary of God. And they leave in shame. But God is faithful to his promises. A promise that he makes in Genesis. And he, he fulfills this promise centuries later because he comes and he makes a covenant with a man named Abraham. Abraham is a man who will father a nation and that nation will be a blessing to all the earth because that nation will make God known through all the earth. And God will have a people once again who will live in joyful fellowship with him. That is the background. And the covenant promise to redeem mankind from this moral calamity that has befallen them, that covenant promise is now coming to pass in this book that we have spent nine months in called Exodus. This is a promise that, that God's people will be returned to him in a new sanctuary. But they lost the first sanctuary. That sanctuary is lost. Eden is gone. But now Exodus, Exodus comes about and, and the sanctuary is renewed. In Exodus 1, and let me just give you a quick survey of, of what we've done these past months. In Exodus 1, Israel is the descendant of, of the nation of Abraham. That's who Israel is. They're the people of God's covenant promise. They, they are the ones that we, we learn about as we open Exodus 1 there. And Israel is living At this moment, when we open Exodus 1, Israel is living under a a dark cloud, a dark cloud of slavery, a dark cloud of cruelty, a dark cloud of oppression, a dark cloud of death. They live bitter lives under a wicked and ruthless king of Egypt who enslaves them and oppresses them and beats them and murders their children. This, This is Israel's moment In Exodus 1. And under these cruel taskmasters, Israel is forced to make bricks to build storehouses for Pharaoh. There is nothing of, of the garden in this picture. Nothing of the sanctuary of God in this picture. But Exodus 2. 
God is faithful to his promise and he sends a deliverer named Moses to lead Israel and to, to deliver them from this tragic situation. In Exodus 3 through 12, Moses has this encounter with God on Mount Sinai where he sees God and he speaks to God who is in a burning bush, which I, I can't even fathom. It is, and it is here where, where Israel is 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 delivered by God through Moses uh, because they need to be saved. They're they're in they're in dire straits, and it's here where God identifies Himself for the very first time to Moses and the people of Israel. I am who I am. I have always been. I will always be. I am who I am. And then he shows Moses his power and Moses returns to, to Egypt and speaks on behalf of Israel. And God proves himself all powerful to the Egyptians through plagues and through the deliverance that comes when the ultimate penalty of sin is revealed through death, through the angel of death. The plague of death touches every home in Egypt, but not Israel. Not Israel, brothers and sisters, for God's provided a way to save them. Again, a a shadow of the gospel to come. Rather than their firstborn children dying, Israel, on God's command, slaughters unblemished lambs, pure lambs, and paints the blood of those lambs on the doorpost. And so the angel of death at night, that night, passes over the houses of Israel and they are spared. Because a sacrifice of blood has been shed on their behalf. Oh, do you not see the gospel in the Passover story? And then in Exodus 13 through 19, God leads Egypt, Israel out of Egypt into this wilderness. And he saves them from the Egyptian army at the Red Sea. He provides water for them in the wilderness of shore. He provides food for them in the wilderness of sin. He provides water again at Rephidim. He protects them against the Amalekite army. And then he leads them. Finally, to Mount Sinai, fulfilling his promise to bring them to this mountain. Mount Sinai. And it is here that Israel sees God descend upon the mountain, closer to them in a cloud. No longer are they under this cloud of darkness. But now... They are led by a cloud by day and they see God descend in a cloud on Mount Sinai, a cloud that they have been familiar with now for a long time. And it is here where God speaks to them in the most dramatic fashion. Exodus 20. God speaks. God speaks to Israel for the first time. In verses 1 through 17, he speaks the Ten Commandments to guide Israel and to protect their relationship with them. And if they obey his commandments, they receive his blessing. And if not, the consequences will be severe. And then in Exodus 20, 18 through 24, Moses teaches them his covenant, the, God's covenant laws. And in Exodus 25 through 31, Moses is on Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights. And God gives him the instructions for his sanctuary. The sanctuary is renewed. God says he will be present with his people once again. 
And the details of, these, of the tabernacle, uh, this sanctuary, they're, they're intense and they're specific. And everyone must be followed. Every detail, every instruction must be followed to the letter so that God can dwell with his people. And then in Exodus 32, tragedy again befalls Israel. In fact, it's very much like the Genesis story when Adam and Eve sinned. Israel's worship of the golden calf is really a classic fall story with a command being broken by the priest left in charge, Adam and Aaron. That command was broken. The the blame shifted to someone else, Eve and Israel. Oh, Israel made me do it, said Aaron. The shame and the curse of sin God saying that you will eat the dust of the ground and Moses grounding up the golden calf and feeding it to Israel. And then the establishment of a sword-wielding garden, cherubim in front of the Garden of Eden, death to anyone who would enter, and Moses and the Levites going through the camp of Israel and putting to death by sword all those who rebelled and rejected God. And then ultimate separation from God. It is a classic story. And it's here. It is here, brothers and sisters, where Israel learns the sinfulness of sin. And they learn of all of sin's destructive consequences. When God declares at that moment, after all of this, after all he's done to deliver them, he declares he will no longer be present with Israel. And as we read, panic sets in many years ago, David was three years old and he, David, like every three year old, he had, we had all these toys and we had a lot of what are Fisher price toys. I'm sure I guess Fisher price still makes toys today. And, um, David had these little Fisher price people and they were Fisher with, you know, flesh colored little heads, round bodies, and, and he would play with them and they would stick on things and they had holes in the bottom and you could put them on something so they wouldn't fall over. Um, and, and, and David would play with these all the time. And one morning it was, I must, it was close to four thirty, quarter to five. And David had a tendency to wake up early at times. And, um, I'm, I'm, I'm dead asleep. Marilyn's asleep. And, and I feel something shaking my, my shoulder. And, it, and it, I, I just kind of peer out through haze and, and clouded vision. And I, and I just see David and, and he goes, look, and he holds out his hand. And all I see with my eyes, I see, I see this massive hand. And I'm thinking, and I, oh my God, David, what did you do? Marilyn, wake up. And, and Marilyn wakes up. She looks, she goes, it's just Fisher Price people go to sleep. David had put Fisher Price people all over his hand and it looked like his hand had blown up. He had caught it in a door or something like that. He had elephantitis. I don't know what was wrong with him. All I know was I panicked at that moment. It's the kind of panic you feel like I, what is going on? It's the panic you feel if you've ever lost a child. If you've ever lost a child in a store or where you're having a picnic or wherever, you know, you know, that panic, that's the panic Israel feels at this moment when God says, I will not dwell with you. But then 
Israel learns the riches of God's grace as God remains faithful to his covenant. He, he will not ever abandon his people. And this is proven. It's proven as God allows these sinful, but now forgiven people to build his sanctuary. Everything has changed for Israel. And that's what we learn in these final chapters. In, in chapter 35, in verses uh, 5 and 21 and 22 and 26 and 29 in chapter 36. Israel is is described at this moment. In, in 35, we, we see uh, how the Lord, how these people have a, a heart to, to serve. In, in verse 5 of chapter 35, take from among you a contribution to the Lord, whoever is of a generous heart. In verse 21, you go down and you see everyone whose heart stirred him and, who, and everyone whose spirit moved him. And then 22, all who were of a willing heart. And verse 26, again, all the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill. And, and, and verse 29, again, all, all whose heart moved them to bring anything to the Lord. And 36, 2, and, and everyone whose heart stirred him. And so we have this picture Israel is so different now. Instead of being forced to make bricks for Pharaoh, they now have a willing heart to build a sanctuary for God. What a change. What a dramatic change in Israel's life. And then 24 times in, from 35 through 40, we see the, this Phrase again and again, as the Lord commanded, Israel did it. As the Lord commanded, Moses obeyed. As the Lord commanded, as the Lord commanded. These people had gone from a disobedient, rebellious people who made a golden calf to now obeying in detail, without neglect, every command the Lord had given. It is a dramatic change. Grace changes everything. It does. It changes everything. And so they completely obey every command to the letter. And as I was, I was preparing for this, I, there was one section I, I was compelled to read again and again, and I am going to read it for you. It is the making of the ark. Look at chapter 37 and verse 1. Bezalel made the ark of acacia wood, two cubits and a half with its, was its length, a cubit and a half its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. Now, in our vernacular, it was about three feet long and a, a four feet long, about three feet wide, and about three feet, 18 inches, 24 inches high. And he overlaid it with pure gold inside and outside and made a molding of gold around it. And he cast it cast for it four rings of gold for its four feet, two rings on its one side and two rings on its other side. And he made poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold and put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark. And he made a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half was its length and a cubit and a half its breadth. And he made two cherubim of gold. These Cherubim is like angels. He made them of hammered work on the two ends of the mercy seat. One cherub on one end and one cherub on the other end. They were looking down upon the ark and one 
of one piece with the mercy seat, he made the cherubim on its two ends. The cherubim spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings, with their faces to one another toward the mercy seat were the faces of the cherubim. Now, understand, what is being made here is the center of God's renewed sanctuary. It's the place. It is the center of God's glory and his dwelling and his presence. It is the place, this three foot by four foot box overlaid with pure gold. It holds what is known as the testimony. It holds the the Ten Commandments inside. It's where this mercy seat, which is simply the cover for this box, overlaid with pure gold with two cherubim facing with wings spread each other and looking down. This is known as the atonement cover. It's where when an animal was sacrificed, its blood was spread on this atonement cover and God would hover above in his presence. And that is where when the blood was shed, forgiveness was given. Sin was atoned for. And this is just a box until God's glory descends on it. Isn't there something similar? Jesus came down to earth. The word of God made flesh. The word of God dwelling in him. He he came with no fanfare. He was just a man. But he was also the mercy seat and the atoning sacrifice of blood. And at his resurrection, when God raises him from the dead, he is glorified so much more powerfully and so much more beautifully than the ark. This ark is a shadow of something to come. And then we see in in chapter 40, if you go back to what we read at the end, five times in these five verses, We see the word cloud, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The cloud settled on it. The cloud was taken up over the tabernacle. The cloud was not taken up when it was not time to move. And then the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and the fire by night. And Israel is no longer under the dark cloud of oppression and slavery. What are they under? They're under the cloud of God's presence and God's glory, and God's mercy, and God's forgiveness. They live under the cloud of God's guidance. For when the cloud goes, goes up and leads them, that's where they follow. But there's also something in here that's very unique. In verse 35 of chapter 40, and Moses is writing this. So the author is the guy who's he's writing about himself. And he says, and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. Now, Moses had spent 40 days and 40 nights on the mountain. He had been put in the cleft of, the, of a rock as the glory of the Lord went by. He would go in and out of the tent of meeting again and again and again. Moses had this access that nobody else had. He he had been among the cloud. And then all of a sudden, at the very end of Exodus, when this renewed sanctuary has come, we see, and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting. 
because of the cloud. And here's, here's the point Moses is making to us. Sin is still a problem. Sin is still a problem. Moses could not enter in because he was a sinner. And as we learn, sacrifices need to be made. And after this, with Aaron, and you learn this in Leviticus, with Aaron and Moses and and the Levite priest, no one could enter in without the shedding of blood. That this renewed sanctuary was was wonderful because God is present with his people, but there wasn't unlimited free access into the sanctuary. Blood, sacrifice, death, atonement, forgiveness still needed to happen. And so this sanctuary in Israel's journey is only partially renewed because of this barrier. And, and, and there is this barrier. If you remember in, the, in this whole setup, this whole setup with a courtyard, and then you've got the, the, the sanctuary itself, the tent, the tabernacle, and you had a, a, the first room that you'd go into was called the holy place. And then there was this thing called a veil, a curtain with cherubim that were woven into it. It was a beautiful veil. And it was when you'd, you'd get into the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant, where God's presence dwelled, this veil stood between that entrance and the Ark of the Covenant. And only once a year after, after a blood sacrifice, after the shedding and, and the death of a, of a pure spotless lamb, could the high priest, only the high priest, go into this tent, go into this most holy place and spread blood on the atonement cover, the mercy seat, for the forgiveness of Israel's sin. Once. That was the only access anyone ever had. It's a partial renewal. Only the high priest could go into this sacred place once a year. God, God is present among Israel. He's in the middle of their camp. But this is nothing like Eden. This, this renewed sanctuary, this, this opportunity to, to dwell with God is nothing like Eden. And as wonderful and welcome as this moment was... When God's glory comes down at the end of chapter 40 and and he is present in the middle of his people, as wonderful and welcome as that moment is, it is only a shadow of the sanctuary to come. Eden is partially restored. but, But brothers and sisters, returning to Eden is not the goal. Because the glory in the tabernacle, oh, that's the climax here of Exodus. Because it's speaking of a glory to come. Ross Blackburn in his commentary said this. He said, at the close of Exodus, Israel has repented. The covenant has been restored. The tabernacle has been built lavishly and willingly. The glory of the Lord has filled the tabernacle and Israel is now poised. The Lord being with her to carry out her priestly calling to the nations, making the Lord's name known throughout the earth. The restoration of Exodus is real, yet partial. A level of separation still remains. The glory in the tabernacle was and is the climax of Exodus, but it is not, brothers and sisters, it's not the climax of redemption. It was just the beginning of the glory that will one day be seen fully in Jesus Christ. And that is the third point, the sanctuary restored. 
God, God dwelled in a portable sanctuary here, and eventually he dwells in a permanent sanctuary when Solomon builds the temple, but neither remains today. Because God's ultimate plan is to dwell in a sanctuary not made by human hands, but in a person, in his son, Jesus Christ. Prior to Jesus' death, no one could enter the holy place in the sanctuary. But, but now, this veil that stood between the, the, the Ark of the Covenant and the two rooms, the holy place, this veil that if, if you touched the veil, if you went near the veil, if you went into that place, you would die. That veil at, de- at Christ's death on the cross, when he is, he is bleeding there and he is, he is bearing the sins of all humanity upon himself, at that moment when he dies, Scripture tells us this wonderful moment, the veil... Is torn from top to bottom. It's torn into the veil that separates men and women from the presence of God no longer exists. The sanctuary has been restored in Christ. The barrier between God and man is done. And it's done when we turn to, to God, we turn to Christ for, for the forgiveness of our sins. And turn we must. It's not just enough to know this in our minds, brothers and sisters. We must turn to God. We must acknowledge we are these people. We are these sinful people. We are the sinners that Israel has become. And that is, that always was. We are these people. We are what we sang about this morning. But we are not just that. Because when we turn to Christ, our image and our identity changes. From sinner to saint. And now we can enter this sanctuary. God's sanctuary. Because we are clothed in Christ's righteousness. And we are also clothed of all things in his glory. Hebrews 4 tells us what a wonderful joy this is. Since we... Then have a high priest. So Jesus is now the high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our sinful weaknesses, our, our, our fallen world. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And then he says these words. The writer of Hebrews says this. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. That we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let us draw near to the throne of grace. That throne of grace is the mercy seat. It's the Ark of the Covenant. It's the presence of God. That mercy seat is in Christ now. And there's no veil standing between us and God. Exodus story profoundly points to Jesus, who we are told throughout the Gospels, but particularly in John's Gospel, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. You look at Jesus Christ and you see God's glory. And the word and the glory, they're all dwelling. The the word became flesh. They all dwell in Christ and it is through Christ who intercedes for us. It is through Christ who stands before God as our sacrifice, as our atoning sacrifice. 
He shed his blood. We now stand before God clothed in righteousness. We're not, we're not filthy anymore. That, these are profound words. Philip Ryken said this. He said, the book of Exodus really is his story. Jesus is the Moses of our salvation. The mediator who goes for us before God. Jesus is the lamb of our Passover, the sacrifice for our sins. Jesus is our way out of Egypt. The deliverer who baptizes us in the sea of his grace. Jesus is our bread in the wilderness. The provider who gives us what we need for daily life. Jesus is our voice from the mountain declaring his law for our lives. Jesus Jesus is the altar of our burning through whom we offer up praise to God. Jesus is the light on our lampstand, the source of our life and light. Jesus is the basin of our cleansing, the sanctifier of our souls. Jesus is the great high priest who prays for us at the altar of incense. And Jesus is the blood on the mercy seat, the atonement that reconciles us to God. The great God of the Exodus has saved us in Jesus Christ. Where is God present today? Brothers and sisters, he's present in his church, the restored sanctuary. This is the sanctuary of God. This is the place where we come in and have complete and free access to God as we we sing, as we praise, as we pray, as we give, as we listen, as we fellowship. This is the sanctuary of God. This is why we come on Sunday mornings. This is why this is the priority and the highlight of our lives. This is, this is the day of the week where we enter into the sanctuary of God with his people. Yes, we have access to God as we take time personally to pray and to read his word. And we can enter into his throne of grace to, to find mercy and help in time of need. Yes, but, but there is there's something more dynamic and and more special when we are together as the people of God here on Sunday mornings. And it's why what we do, we do together. We, We do this because God is present. We are... As his church, where we are the royal priesthood, as First Peter tells us, who can enter the sanctuary of God. As his church, we are the holy nation who makes God known. As his church, we are the chosen race to, who, who exists to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. First Peter 2. The end of Exodus, brothers and sisters, it's only the beginning of the story of salvation. And it's a marvelous story. It is where Exodus has been leading us to since Devon first opened up in verse 1. And until we reach that final sanctuary, that place called heaven, where, where there, there is no sin anymore, there is no pain anymore, there is no suffering anymore, there is no sickness anymore, there's, there's nothing but the presence of God. Until then, this is our sanctuary. Because one day we will, we, will, we will enter a holy place that we cannot comprehend. And we will struggle to comprehend even then. 
because it will be more glorious than anything we can imagine. But until then, we've got work to do. And let me give you just a couple of helpful thoughts, I think helpful, because today, today we're free. We're no longer slaves. Like Israel, we're free to serve God now. And the question is, are our hearts filled with a willingness to serve and sacrifice for him? Because that was Israel's, they were, they were willing, they had willing hearts. Their hearts were stirred to sacrifice for God, to serve God, to live for God. Are our hearts in that place? Are we stirred by a generosity that desires to give our lives fully to making Christ known? And we do that as the people of God. As the church of God, our hearts fully stirred. Now, you are to be commended because you show a willing sacrifice every week when you show up here and you help set up and you help serve and you help take down and, and you give hours and you give sweat and you, you, you care for others. You are, you are doing this. But we can always do it better. We can always grow. We can always expand and, and sacrifice. Listen, this is, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? We, we don't want to do that. We, we don't want to find the pleasures of the world more delightful than the pleasures of God. And so we do it here. Israel had willing hearts with sacrificial giving and service. And God's sanctuary is built, and it is beautiful, and it honors and glorifies God. Christians today, willing hearts, sacrificial giving and service, the restored sanctuary, the church is built, and it is being built, and it is beautiful. And it honors and glorifies God. But it takes sacrifice. Romans 12.1, a sacrifice that is important for us to consider I appeal to you, brothers, Paul writes, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then Hebrews 13, 15, again, Paul, or the writer of Hebrews, not shorts, Paul, Hebrews 13, 15, through him, through Christ, let then us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Israel sacrificed. We sacrifice. But that's not all we do. We saw in in chapter 40, and if you go from verse 16 of chapter 40, Moses did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. And as the Lord had commanded Moses, Moses did. As the Lord had commanded Moses, he did this. As the Lord commanded Moses, as the Lord commanded Moses, as the Lord commanded Moses, as the Lord commanded Israel, they did everything the Lord commanded. They were obedient, obedient in every specific detail and command. The blessing of their obedience was that God was always with them because the blessing of their obedience at the end of chapter 40 is what? The glory. Glory of God comes to dwell on the tabernacle, the sanctuary. Now, listen, we have a similar command, a similar responsibility. The church, by obeying God's commands today, God's commands, his, his word, the, the scriptures that we have, we experience God's presence. Fast forward a thousand years from this moment in Exodus to Matthew twenty-eight twenty. 
you remember Matthew 28, 20? What does, what does Jesus tell these disciples at the very end? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And he says this, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And then he says this, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Same thing. The point of the garden, the garden of Eden, was to display God's glory to all the earth. In Christ, we have a restored sanctuary where God's fullness dwells. And it has the same goal of bringing glory to God by making his grace known to those who do not know his grace. That's why we exist. That's what this sanctuary is about. Let me close with this quote. This commentator says this. What do the closing verses of Exodus have to say to us? Hebrews, in an explicit and relatively extensive commentary on Exodus, at least more so than any other portion of the New Testament, the basic acknowledgement that the writer of the Hebrews draws is that Israel's desert wanderings correspond to the daily life of the church on its way to Canaan. In a manner of speaking, the end of Exodus is among the more applicable parts of the book. Verses 34 through 38 has something to say to us since we too have been delivered and are waiting to arrive at the final destination. We, like the Israelites, are poised to reach our rest. On this journey, we follow our holy redeemer as he guides us to the promised land. Admittedly, there is no cloud overhead, but we have the spirit of Christ dwelling in us. He brings us to the goal of our salvation, just as surely as the cloud guided the Israelites to their ultimate destination. The people of God should take great comfort in this. The God of Exodus is still guiding. God is present with his people wherever they go, for he still leads and guides them not to Canaan, but to a better country a heavenly one. Brothers and sisters, we're done with Exodus, but we are not done. Okay, let us, let us as the church of God enjoy the restored sanctuary we have in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for restoring to us a sanctuary without a veil, without a barrier, without anything keeping us from your presence, that you have come and made your dwelling among men when the word became flesh and dwelt among us in your son, Jesus Christ. And through his perfect and final blood sacrifice and his death, you have made a way to atone for our sins, to forgive our sins, to cleanse us from our sins and to clothe us in the righteousness of your son. What a glorious story that is. Lord, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. In Christ's name. Amen. What is my benediction for this morning? <laughs> Hebrews 13? Yeah, great. I didn't write it down. I, I came up with it, but I didn't write it down. What's the verses that I, I used? Great. Let us close with this. <laughs> Now, may the God of peace who brought 
again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Love you guys. You're a great church. See you next week.